Thank you, everybody, for uh, coming today. I realize you didn't come to hear me, but uh, consider it a bonus. <laughs> I'm a parent of four children, as most of you know, and uh, recently I've worked on uh, teaching my youngest to ride his bike, meaning I've, I've been trying to teach my son to ride his bike. This is me working on my previous three children. And uh, in the Lord's mercy, uh, they've all learned to ride a bike without breaking any bones. But uh, with my latest one, uh, he just won't try. You know, I took, the first thing you do is you take the training wheels off the bike, and then you convince them to go on the bike, and you kind of hold it behind them as they go, right? And then at some point you let go, and the hope is that they kind of learn along and they might have a fall or two, but they're not likely to get seriously hurt. They have their helmets on, and uh, we might put additional protective equipment, right? Joy, did you learn to ride a bike? Um, well, one of the pictures, uh, that That's a good point, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> now, I would point out that that bike still has its training wheels on, okay? <laughs> I might have been violating the law, but I wasn't seriously endangering my child. <laughs> so why am I telling you this? To me, this is a little bit like baptism, right? Uh, baptism is something that God asks us to do, which is kind of this first step of faith, right? We... Uh, we trust the Lord for our salvation. There's no danger in that, right? He promises eternal life. You just believe. But now he asks you to come forward and testify. This is a command to all believers in the Lord Jesus to make their, uh, their faith in Christ public, to share with people. And he instituted this ordinance of baptism in which they will do that. They will exactly what, what Annabelle and Noah did before you. They just confessed their faith in Christ. Right? And now there's some danger attached to this. How will people respond to you? Right? When you tell them that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Now I trust that all of you are loving family members, friends, and you have come to support your loved one as they came and made this profession of faith. None of you are going to get angry with them and, uh, or hurt them in any way. But this is not always the case, right? It's often the consequence when people come forward and confess their faith in Christ that they expose themselves to danger in other countries. And at the time when this book was written, we were studying the letter to the Hebrews, this was a reality. And believers in the Lord Jesus suffered. They had... Uh, People ridiculed them, which still can happen today. They had people probably abuse them uh, physically, which is not likely to happen in this country, but happens elsewhere in the world. They had their goods confiscated, often by the state, and some of them were cast into prison. So there was a real risk, a real danger in coming forward in this profession of faith. And, uh, and in response, some of them, in the book of Hebrews, we see are struggling a little bit with their faith. Some of them are having second thoughts, right, as this, as this uh, 
persecution continues. So we'll pick up the book of Hebrews in uh, chapter 12, verse 3 through 4. I know I usually give people a chance to recite verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12. We'll skip that for the sake of time today. But you can continue working on that if you want to share it in a future date. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So here there's an encouragement given to believers as they are uh, facing these trials, these persecutions, that they should consider him, that is the Lord Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, how ultimately in the cross. If you think you are in danger, your friends might reject you, this or that might happen to you, think about Jesus and what he suffered on the cross. And then compared to that, you'll probably consider your trial pretty small, right? I've never, the most I ever faced was somebody spitting on me, maybe somebody hitting me as I uh, was bold enough to try to engage in some street evangelism. Right, that's the worst. Compare that to the cross of Jesus. Right? There's nothing to be compared. And therefore, that can be an encouragement to me as I, as I go through some, so, through some trials as the Hebrews were. They're being pointed to Jesus. Remember what he did to encourage you as you also are going through some level of suffering. Then he transitions in verse 5. Let's read verses 5 through 8. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So in this transition, the author is still sticking with the subject of suffering that is peculiar to the Christian faith. This is only suffering you will experience as a Christian and not as an unbeliever. And this suffering is that referred to as chastening. Sometimes we call it discipline or correction, and to help you see what I mean, I'll share an example. This is probably one of the clearest case of chastening I experienced in my life. I was a college student at Berkeley, recently saved. I lived in a fraternity house, and someone recently connected all the computers into some sort of a, of a you know, network, which means we had access to one another's computers, and somebody made available to uh, people games that they have uh, illegally pirated. So you can purchase games, you can go to the store or online and buy a game for $30, or you can uh, download a free version of it which was not intended by the creators of the game, but rather somebody broke the codes and makes it available for you for free. Right? That's a pirated version. And now that became available to me. The game I like was called Axis and Allies. I don't know if any of you ever played that. It's probably an ancient game. And there, was, there was a board game version, and this was a computer version someone did. And I, as a believer, downloaded the game. I knew in my heart of hearts that was wrong. That was stealing. But I still did it as a believer. 
And, uh, and I was spending time, more time than I should, playing that game. And I think the Lord was speaking to me about that as well. But I just liked doing it too much. I just kept going. And here comes the chastening or correction of the Lord. I, you know, I was so into the game. I even kept playing it as I was brushing my teeth. And I was, I was flossing my teeth. And then as I was flossing, you know how sometimes it kind of slides in between your teeth? And there's just a little bit of an impact, right, of, you know, this plastic flimsy thing against your tooth. When it hit my tooth, my tooth broke. I felt the finger of God on my life at that moment. I knew that was God that was doing it, right? Um, and it changed my behavior. I stopped playing that game. I took it off my computer. And I don't think I've downloaded a pirated game since, right? I mean, it had an impact, right? But that was God actively taking a role in my life. And that's what this passage here is about, and we're going to want to think about, about, about this particular work of God in our lives. Now, I'm going to take a, a, go, go a little bit at a time. In verse 5, first it says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And we want to pause here and appreciate the fact that God speaks to us in the Bible as to sons. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and borrow some feedback from my wife. Some of you know that I'll, I'll share with my wife, usually the night before, what I'm going to speak about. And because she sometimes gives me helpful feedback, and she pointed out, you know, make sure people know that you're not excluding women, right? So in the Bible, when it says God speaks to us as sons, he's not excluding women. Women are co-heirs of, of God in the blessings of Christ, right? They, they share an equal role to that of men. There's no distinction. The reason the word sons is used is in those days, the position of son was higher than that of, of a daughter. And God wants to make sure we realize that, that we have the highest position in God's household. We all, both men and women, have the position as sons in God's household. It's, it's an equal position. Women are, are equally, have equal access to all the blessings of God in Christ. They are not inferior to men. Right? That's, that's why God uses that word, sons, referring here to both men and to women. So what's the special blessing as sons? Uh, isn't everybody, being a son of God, isn't everybody a child of God? Isn't everybody a child of God? We could answer in one sense, yes. In one sense, yes, because God is the creator of all people. We've all been created in the image of God. And in that sense, you could say we are all the children of God. But we have lost the privilege of being God's children when we rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God had that one command you know, this tree, you, can, you may eat of any tree in the garden, but this one tree you may not eat. And then Kate, Satan came in the guise of a serpent, and he te tempted Adam and Eve, saying, God is not, doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he knows when you eat of that fruit, you will become like gods yourselves. Right? And so Eve and Adam are uh, propulsed by that temptation of becoming like God themselves took of that fruit. And when they did it, they stopped being the followers of God, and they started being the followers of the devil. And so Jesus says this in verse 42 
of the Gospel of John, here he was surrounded by people who were sure they were God's children, right? And he says to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If the people of Jesus' day were truly the children of God, they would love God, and they would love Jesus, the Son of God, right? Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are not, you are, sorry, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. These are Jesus' words to the most religious nation of the face of the earth at the time. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What Jesus is saying here, you're proving your spiritual heritage as children of the devil by your very actions and how you're responding to me and the truth that I'm bringing to you. You don't believe what I'm saying. You want to kill me. This is the way the devil acts. Right? You're proving your spiritual heritage. But Jesus came to change that. We have this for us in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So now we have become children of God, but it's the benefit of the work of Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross undid what we did when we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Christ brought us back into the family of God. And so when it says in the scripture that God speaks to us as, a, as sons, this is a direct benefit of the work of Christ for us. Now we have the status of the son as sons of God. Now, with the status as sons of God comes the benefit of God acting as our father. And this is what God was doing when I was playing my computer game and, and flossing my teeth. He was acting as my father, and he was correcting me for a behavior that was, was not good for me and unacceptable in his sight, right? Because God loved me. He wanted to change my behavior. So, what we have here is an encouragement, right? The, the Hebrews were experiencing suffering in different ways. On one hand, it was as they were serving God, as they were being faithful to God, they were experiencing suffering. We call that persecution or spiritual opposition. But on the other hand, they had some issues that God was dealing with, right? There was a lack of spiritual vitality. There was a reconsideration of their commitment to Christ, and God was... God was acting, I'm going to move this before I trip on that, and God was acting in their lives. They were experiencing suffering because of that. And here the author is encouraging them and saying, you know, when God is acting in this way in your life, you should appreciate the fact 
that he is, he is treating you as his children. Right? Verse 7, if, if, we, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. I have an illustration of that. I mentioned already I have four children, and sometimes we go to the park, and it's nice sometimes as a parent to just sit at the bench and watch your children play. And uh, it occasionally happens when one of the children in, in the park is doing something they shouldn't do. Maybe they're pushing another child, right? They're engaging in some behavior that's not appropriate. And you take a look, oh, it's not one of my children, it's okay. <laughs> but then one of your children is doing it, and you get off the bench, and you go to your child, and you talk to your child. And if you have to, you give them a timeout or whatever you have to do for that behavior to cease. Why is that, that when it was somebody else's child, you did not act, and when it is your child, you are acting? Is it because you, like, you love the other child better and your child less? No, it's because you love your child more and because your child is so precious to you, you cannot see them engaging in this behavior and you have to change it, right? And so when God is coming into your life and is speaking to you about something in your life, appreciate that it's an act of love of God toward you. He says, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, and not sons. Consider the uh, state of the illegitimate. We've, we've forgotten the meaning of that word because we've forgotten the meaning of the word marriage. Right? But in those days, if, uh, if uh, you know, a, a man had honorable intention toward a woman, he would marry her. Right? And then all the children that were produced from that marriage, the father would acknowledge as his children and he would take care of them, including correcting them and wanting to be the best for them. But if, a, if a, a man did not have honorable intentions, he didn't marry the woman, and the children whom the woman, woman had, he did not recognize as his children. Right? That's why they were illegitimate. They were without a father. And as a result, they didn't have anyone working in their lives correcting them, and probably their lives more often than not led to ruin. Right? They did not live good lives because they were lacking the presence of a committed father working in their lives. So which would you prefer to have? The life of a child, of a father, of your heavenly father in heaven, where he cares for you and guides your life and wants the best for you? Or the life of one that God is not working in? You know what? There were lots of other people in my fraternity house engaging in the same activities I was, as far as I know, none of them broke their teeth while flossing them, right? Because God was not, didn't have that same level of interest in their lives. Now, God wanted them to be saved, right? But until they became the children of God, he wasn't going to work in the same way in their lives. So when God comes along and he's working in your life, consider that a sign of God's love. Don't let that discourage you. Let that encourage you. Let's continue in verse 9. And uh, here we have three benefits of, of God being our heavenly Father and correcting us. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Benefits of having God chastening us. The first one is we get to live, right? He said, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? In this passage, he compares God's parentage to that of of our human fathers. And there's a verse that comes to my mind as it says one of the benefits of of, uh, God's being our father is that we live. It comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So here we have a verse that has a general application to everyone. If you have a mother and, your fa- and a father, particularly while you're young and you're living in their house, you should honor them. Right? God wants you to obey your parents. But then he adds that it's a commandment with a promise. Right? God gives us a promise that it may be well with you and you may live on long on the earth. That is, if you obey your parents, you honor your mother and your father, God promises you will live long. This is the picture that comes to my mind when I think of that verse. I mean, there is a natural consequence to obeying your parents, right? I mean, children have a lot of strange ideas of what might be fun to try. And if you have a good father and mother, they will try to steer you away from those kind of decisions, right? And the result will be you will live long on the earth. Similarly, God has a a certain ideal for our life. Sometimes we refer to it as the abundant life as Christians. Uh, It's more than just, you know, breathing and eating and going to sleep, right? Everyone can do that. This is what Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life, true life, eternal life, is knowing God and having a relationship with Him. And that can start now on earth. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to have eternal life. It starts here, right? Now, in order to be able to enjoy that kind of life, we have to submit to God as our Father. We have to honor Him the way earthly children honor the earthly parents. If we want to enjoy God's life, that relationship with God, it has to be done in submission to him. So that's benefit number one of having God as our father, chastening us, working in our lives. The second benefit, it says, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, referring again to our earthly parents, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So earthly parents have a certain goal or ideal for their children as they're working with their children. I think for my parents, this was one of them. 
right? You know, they wanted me to reach what they felt was my full potential in life, which was, you know, walking that, you know, uh, stage, you know, and getting that diploma, you know, wearing that uniform, graduated from college, right? I mean, that might be the ideal a lot of people have for their children. They want to see their children successful in this world, right? This is their ideal. What is God's ideal? What is God's ideal for us? It says that we may be partakers of his holiness. God created us in his image. It's interesting to me that the temptation of the devil and the desire of Adam and Eve was to be like God. And yet the Bible tells us God made us in his image. We were already like God in some sense, right? Oh, it wouldn't say that. And here God has an even higher calling for us. He wants us to be partakers of his whole. He wants us to really be like him. He gave us a certain potential when he created us to be like him. Now, we're not talking about usurping his position as, dev- as the devil wanted to do, right? We're talking about full submission to God, and in that full submission to God, attaining to that potential that he had for us to become like him in holiness, to love like he loves, to be kind as he is kind, right? To be like God in our actions. And we recognize that in salvation, we ultimately will gain that in heaven. But you know what? God doesn't want us to wait to heaven to be like him. He wants us to be like him every day, more and more here below. And that is the second benefit of having God as our father. That is why he came and, and you know, intervened in my life at that point and many points since then, because I was steering off the path. I wasn't being like him. I wasn't growing in being more like him. And he wanted me to be more like him. Right? That's God's second goal, second benefit for us. The third and last one we have here, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This world wants peace. I found this picture on the internet. I don't know that this is a, a, a real picture, meaning that everything there is true. But to me, it kind of pictures a little bit of, of this world's pursuit of peace. It says this in, uh, in Jeremiah 6.14, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world promises you peace. We want to have peace. And I'm not just talking about the absence of war and conflict, right? We have wars and conflict in the world. In this country, we've enjoyed a long period of not being involved in war, at least not here on on this soil. Uh, But we still don't have peace, right? We still uh, want uh, all these things that we don't have. Right? And that takes away our peace. We uh, have conflict with co-workers. We may have uh, conflict with uh, family members. We have conflict with friends. And as a result, we don't enjoy peace. But that is our desire, right? to enjoy peace. And this is something that God uh, has available for us. Right? It says, afterward, it yields the peaceable 
fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It says in James 4, 1 and 2, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Brothers and sisters, these words were written to believers. Right? Even as believers, we can, because of our selfish desires, get into conflict right, with one another. But God wants us to enjoy peace right, and no conflict. And that comes with God's work in our lives in changing our character and molding us. It says this in Isaiah 32, 17, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So God wants us to enjoy peace in our life. And that is one of the benefits we have with God as our Father. As God owns us, Christ brought us into God's family. Now God the Father is working in our lives and is making us more like his son, the Lord Jesus, so that we can enjoy these benefits. We can live the abundant life uh, that he called us to live. We can grow in holiness and becoming more like God, and we can enjoy peace in our life. This thing that the world chases after and cannot obtain is something that is accessible to you and me as we submit ourselves to our heavenly Father. If you are not a child of God today, I invite you, as we had these testimonies given, if you're not sure how to become a child of God, it is a, a benefit that's accessible to you through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And if you don't understand what it was and how it applies to you, feel free to ask me or uh, uh, these uh, two young people that were baptized or anybody else here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you that you take such an interest in us that you want our benefit, Lord, our highest benefit. Help us, Lord, to be always quick to respond to your correction in our lives and enjoy the fruit of it. We pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, you might draw them to yourself. Give them the boldness to step out, to ask, does this apply to me? Is there a benefit here to me? Can I enjoy the blessings of Christ as well? Not to be ashamed or afraid. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.